Hey listeners, before we dive into this week's episode, I want to introduce you to a brand that's all about good health and great taste. It's time to level up your beverage game with HealthAid Kombucha. HealthAid isn't just any drink. It's a wellness powerhouse packed with probiotics, antioxidants, and organic goodness. With a wide range of mouth-watering flavors, you're in for a treat with every sip. From classic flavors like cayenne cleanse and ginger lemon to the bold and adventurous pink lady apple and berry lemonade, there's something for everyone. But here's the real magic. Health Aid Kombucha is more than just a tasty beverage. It's a drink that loves your gut. It's raw, vegan, gluten-free, and never contains artificial anything. So if you're looking to boost your digestive health, support your immune system, and enjoy delicious, guilt-free refreshment, Health Aid Kombucha is your go-to choice. Ready to make your change for the better? Head over to healthaid.com and use promo code TMB for an exclusive discount on your first order. That's healthaid.com with promo code TMB. Cheers to a healthier you, and thanks to Health Aid Kombucha. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Self Starter Show. I'm your host, Steve Clare, and on this show, you're going to be hearing from entrepreneurs. You're going to hear about their wins that got them where they are, their losses, and everything in between, as well as the advice that they have that helped them along the way, along with bonus solo episodes of my personal secrets of life, success, and empathy sprinkled in for you, the listener, like chapters of a great book. Each episode will provide you with a bit of a cheat code to success and happiness. On this week's show, we are here with Ben Moore. Ben Moore is a Southern guy who moved to New York to follow his dream. Was his dream to become a divorce attorney? Maybe, maybe not, but we'll dive into that. And without further ado, Ben Moore. Hey, Steve. Good to see you. You're from the South, right? I am. Where are you from? I'm from Johnson City, Tennessee. Population? 60,000. 60,000, well, it's a big number. That's not a lot of people for, for a town, is it? No, it's not. It's funny. The area I grew up is booming, though. It's like on one of the hottest, it's like number 12 hottest area to move. In the country of, in the or country, in Tennessee? Yeah, in the country. Because during COVID, now that everybody's, a lot of people are able to work remotely, quality of life there is good temperature's good and you get a lot of people coming from new york and california that are moving there now my mom's my mom's house is like quadrupled in value right but that's in what 40 years yeah well it's no it's the value in the past decade is oh wow yeah it's crazy check it out tri-cities tennessee tri-cities tennessee yeah check it out so you're a divorce attorney family attorney which one do you prefer I'm a family and matrimonial attorney. I try to keep the word divorce out. Um, it's kind of like when I'm asking someone who's, we're looking at apartments instead of saying, what's your budget? Because budget sounds like, it, what's the max you're willing to spend that I'm gonna get out of you? Like, no, it's what, what price point are we looking at? Right, price point's better than budget. Matrimonial is a little softer than divorce. Um, Look, most of what I do, most of my cases are divorce, but I handle all areas of family law. I do custody, I do child support. Um, 
handle a lot of domestic violence cases based on my background as a prosecutor. Um, anything that has to do with domestic relations, I'm so, your guy. All right, so fair to say family. Family law. I'm family a family law. lawyer. Prenups, postnups. What's a postnup? Postnup is a prenup that you do after you're married. Oh, so you can get married and be like, you know what? We should have done a prenup. Absolutely. And a postnups are often done when somebody hasn't been a good boy or a good girl. Interesting. A, a good boy or good girl now that they are married? Yes. Oh, sorry. So <laughs> a, 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 a hypothetical. I, we don't need a hypothetical. We know what we're talking about. Uh, Jane and Jim, they get married. And uh, Jim Strays, Jim Strays, or Jane Strays, and it's like, all right, if we're gonna keep this together, we need a we need a post up. Exactly, and essentially, if you mess up again, I'm taking all your money. Oh, and look, the best prenups, the best post up agreements go in a drawer, and you never look at them again. Um, do you have a prenup? No. Uh, good. I I I didn't have one either. If I get if I ever get married again, I probably won't have one because I'm a despite being a divorce lawyer, I'm a born romantic. There's something about a prenup that kind of puts a that business edge to to a relationship. On the other hand, marriage is an economic partnership. So um, if somebody asks me, should I get a prenup? Usually the answer is yes, especially if you a if you have your own business. It's important to have a prenup. Uh, and B, if you really want to control your assets, not only if you get a divorce, but upon death, because um, there's something in New York called the marital share. Uh, when you pass away, your spouse is entitled to a third of your estate, no matter what, even if you wrote him or her out of your will. Uh, so a prenup or a postnup can take precedence over that. Um, statutory one-third that a spouse gets. You know, most people want to leave their money to their kids. They don't want to be forced to leave it to their spouse. That even if sense. they're happily married. Really? Yeah. That makes sense. Even if it's uh, leaving X amount to the spouse and X amount to the kids? Yeah, the nice thing about a prenup, or a postnup for that matter, you get that choice as opposed to the state saying, look, off the top, a third goes to your spouse. Noted. Now, I imagine you didn't know right away, I'm going to be a family attorney. I came out saying, I want to be a divorce lawyer. No. So let's yeah. rewind. Let's go back. Maybe even we'll go back pre-university, back in high school, growing up. Was What threw you into law? What, what molded you into, I guess, first becoming an Esquire? Well... Um, I don't know if the camera can pick it up, but I was always a huge fan of legal television shows. I got Matlock here. I got L.A. Law on my wall. So growing up, I, I watched every law, legal procedural uh, program. I loved I loved those shows. Um, I like the performance aspect of, of the law. I love watching the guys and gals talk to, to juries. Um, but I didn't know I wanted to be a lawyer. And I actually took some time off after college. I took four years off. Um, to, pursue, to pursue a career in acting? No, 
but <laughs> you know what could have been um i thought i was i actually thought i was going to be a psychologist i was all ready to go and get my phd in psychology then i realized i had to take a bunch of postgraduate science courses so that was all that that made that decision for me the nice thing about law school is it's three years um i started law school in my late 20s i was done right right around the time i hit 30. uh came out of law school i i went to brooklyn law and was was just captivated by by the criminal the the world of criminal law and um, this is the what is the early 2000s early 2000s my mentor in law school was a um a lawyer a man named jerry shargell who was just a, a giant in the field really considered perhaps the best criminal defense lawyer of his generation was kind of unfairly considered to be a mob lawyer he represented john Gotti. Uh, represented a lot of other organized crime figures, but an incredibly brilliant, incredibly talented legal mind. Uh, so not to knock on it, but he, he was a mob lawyer. He, you know, he, he was, he, he represented a lot of figures in organized crime, but he had a lot of other clients also. Right. Um, towards the end of his career, he was representing a number of, uh, figures in, in entertainment, hip hop world. Um, Which some might say still falls into the category of mob. There are certain elements that it's funny. One of his biggest victories, uh, and this happened while I was in law school was, um, a hip hop producer named Irv Gotti. Of course. Who you may remember who took the name Gotti. And then when he got in trouble with the law said, I want John Gotti's lawyer. And he hired Jerry and Jerry got him off. Um, Jerry, rest in peace, passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, but he got he got me really into, into criminal law. So when I graduated law school, I went to work at the Bronx DA's office. I was a prosecutor for three years. Wait, well, but when he got Irv Gotti off of his case, not guilty, did Irv give him a present? I think Irv gave him a pretty big tip. Got it. <laughs> um, and I'll get to my, I was a criminal defense lawyer for a while. But um, yeah, went to work at the Bronx DA's office, um, right out of law school, focused on domestic violence. I was a domestic violence prosecutor. Um, Domestic violence is also a uh, an area where I, I get a lot of my business now because it's, even though most of my clientele now are people of means, high net worth clientele, that is an issue that cuts across all economic um, lines. I mean, it's not something that only happens to poor people. There is uh, domestic violence physical abuse, verbal abuse, psychological abuse, financial abuse um, happening all over the place. That's sad. It is sad. Um, That's sad to hear that. More so just knowing how how much abundance of domestic violence there is. Yeah, and, and 
you know, it's... I'd like to say that with awareness, it's getting better. But, uh, you know, human beings are human beings. They're going to do what they're going to do. Um, in any event, I lasted, you know, every DA in this city, at least, and I think this is still the case, but when I started, you have a three-year contract. You got you to stay at the DA's office three years. Obviously, if there are people who leave earlier, they can't force you to stay, but that's what you're expected to do. So I did my three years. I learned pretty early on that it wasn't, even though I loved being a DA, it wasn't for me. I didn't really, you know, I worked with some, some people. They really loved putting people in jail. Um, that wasn't me. For some reason, I always kind of pulled for the underdog and uh, made a lot of good friends in the defense bar. And so after my time at the DA's office, I went into criminal defense, practiced as a criminal defense lawyer um, for about for about five years. I did criminal defense only. Um, and then and then kind of just fell into this practice. Um, which um, which I love. And uh, I didn't look back. A uh, couple reasons why I left criminal law. Number one, it's hard to make a living as a criminal defense lawyer. By and large. Why is that? Criminals don't have money. Unless you're Irv Gotti. Unless you're Irv Gotti or, or John, John Gotti. Gotti. And there's, there's, there, there's a, there's a, Kind of an upper echelon you can probably you know one or two hands of guys that are really making a lot of good money in private criminal defense the attorneys the attorneys um number one arrest rates are way down across the city and that started when uh, mayor de blasio took over and made some real changes to the way policing is done in the city there's you know the legalization of, of recreational drugs. And so all of this is not that crime is down, it's that arrests are down. But I Fair to say crime is up exponentially. Arrests are down exponentially. I think anybody living in New York knows that crime is not down. Crime is up, but the police just aren't making arrests like they used to. Police are frustrated for a lot of reasons, and I... Um, I still have a lot of friends and contacts in law enforcement, and in fact, I'm, I uh, I give a reduced rate to members of law enforcement if they ever need my services, because I think what they do is so important. Uh, <clears throat> but um, the the bail laws changed in a way that uh, have just, you know, a lot of cops are saying, why would I even make an arrest if somebody's coming out the very next day? And, and look, there's, there's arguments and it's, there's philosophical arguments. There's political arguments that are for another day to talk about. But the bottom line is, you know, it takes, takes a lot of money to live in this city and, um, it's, it's hard to make that kind of money doing what I was doing.
and I and I just I found that I love I love family and matrimonial law and the skills that I developed as a criminal lawyer dealing with people in crisis, um, being able to perform when the stakes are, are very high, um, translated very well to family law. Now, someone who's a you go to you go to Equinox and someone's a trainer, and they're you know, a little heavy and don't really look like they take care of themselves. And when I say little heavy, I mean like they don't look healthy. You're not gonna you're not gonna trust that person as a trainer. Do you think that you, as someone who's been through divorce, are much more equipped at being a divorce attorney? Uh, I'm not gonna say I'm more equipped, uh, but it's a lot of the best divorce lawyers in the city are all divorced. <laughs> um, I think what it does is it gives me an understanding of what my clients are going through in a way that you just wouldn't know if it was just on paper. I had, and I'm blessed, I had a, a, a very good divorce. My um, my ex-wife, you've met my ex-wife. Yep. We're like brother and sister. We get along great. We don't even, we have an agreement that we haven't looked at in a decade um, as far as the schedule of of, of our two kids basically every Sunday we just were like what nights do you want the kids we live in Dumbo um, she lives in Brooklyn Heights so she's five minutes away. five minutes away and it, it, both of us being children of divorce it was very important to us to not to to, to really not let it rain down on the kids. Absolutely. And it you would, know what? It's extremely evident that it does not rain down on the kids. Yeah, they see us liking each other. And and there's, like, I can't tell you how many people see their parents hate each other. And that's even in, in intact families. But especially children of divorce, when they see their parents fighting all the time, that is, that creates a level of stress for these children that is just not fair to them. And it's it's it messes them up. So we've worked really hard to to be friends. Like last night, for example, Charlotte was like, "Oh, I want to stay with mom," and uh, and I said, "Fine." Whereas I could see that really upsetting some parents. It's my night. No, you're supposed to be with me. Look, my daughter. She turned fifteen Sunday, and she's going through stuff that. Like she'd rather talk to her mom about, and that's fine, and that's good, and I encourage that. Um, children are not assets to be divided fifty-fifty. No, but I mean, you probably see it. I would even bet that I would even bet to say fifty to sixty or more percentage of your clients use their kids as assets, as pawns, and look at their kids as something that they could use to and could use their kids to weaponize their divorce it's it's one of the worst parts of of what i do and um it's one of the reasons why people in my field sometimes get a bad reputation that makes uh, sense and and i look i get i'm willing to take the heat and get fired by clients when i tell them that i'm just not going to represent them if they want to do that um I had a very, very, very lucrative case that I lost um, because I wasn't willing to do what my client wanted, and that was weaponize the child. And um, 
Yeah, but I'm, I'm just not going to do that. And that's the beauty of having my own firm. You know, <laughs> when I worked for other people, I, I would have had to take that case. I would have had to do that. That sucks. That really sucks. Was there a time when you actually like didn't want to take a case because you, because the client was just being an asshole and trying to use the kids to yeah it happens all the time no situation I'm look I'm um, I started my own law firm when I was forty five uh, forty seven now I started this firm January first two thousand twenty two. Um, and I would ne- I don't think I could ever, ever work for somebody again. No, instead, we're going to grow this business. That's that's my goal. That's my dream. And and I get to do it the way I want to do it. So what was the biggest catalyst to push you to starting your own business? And how did you kind of pour kerosene on that fire? So um, to answer that question, I think it's important to... to talk about how I got into this. Um, I've been practicing criminal defense law for several years, and it it was clear to me that I could do it forever. uh, And I really loved it. My one of my favorite things to do um, professionally, and what brought me the most satisfaction was doing jury trials. I did a number of jury trials. When I was a criminal lawyer, I, I had two cases where my clients were facing life in prison. Uh, both of those, I walked my guys out of the courtroom. Um, so I was, I was very good at it, and it brought me a tremendous amount of professional satisfaction. Um, while that was going on, I also saw the writing on the wall and the way the city was changing, the way the criminal defense bar was changing and that I might want to change gears professionally. So um, I had already been doing family law for a couple years when, after my divorce, um, I was dating somebody, a great person, uh, Karen Dalk, who's still a close friend of mine. Um, And she was going through a divorce and her law firm the law firm that was representing her in her divorce was looking to hire somebody. And I interviewed and I got the job. And that was uh, a law firm that doesn't exist anymore called Mayerson Abramowitz. Um, and I worked there for a few years. I then was blessed to be hired by Bob Cohen and Bernard Clare. Um, well, I've been meaning to ask you if you're related Bernard to... Bernard Clare? Yes, yeah, C-L-A-I-R. Really? From the island, I know you almost Jewish three, guy. I, don't, I, I don't. I know minimal Claire's. Minimal Claire's. Like I, I don't know any. I really don't know any Claire's outside of the Claire's that are in my family. Are you related to Bernie? I have no idea, but I'm going to find out. So, Bern Claire and Bob Cohen. Um, is he is he alive? Yeah, I got to find out. Uh, and he's he's. Um, I learned so much from those two men, and all the other lawyers at that great firm. Um. And I worked there until COVID when I was offered a position as a partner at another firm. Um, And being, finally making partner 
was a was a great feeling but what it did for me was kind of it made me realize that I wanted more control. I wanted more say over how I wanted to practice law. So I'm, I'm very thankful to um, my former boss, Alyssa Rauer, who hired me as a partner. Um, but it became clear after about a year there that I wanted to do my own thing. And um, I opened up this practice um, and I've never been happier professionally. I now have three lawyers working with me, one of whom Lauren Sikofsky is your high school friend. Love that. Um, and I really am, I'm trying to form a culture at this firm of, of client-centered advocacy with a real kind of a real moral basis. Um, you know, there, there are lines that we won't cross at this firm, like what we just talked about using, using children's weapons. My only boss now is the client, but there are things that I just have to say no to sometimes do it professionally, do it kindly, courteously, but look, I'll never, I'll never use children as weapons. I'll never, I'll never let a client lie on a sworn statement. Um, it's just, it's, it's not right and it's not worth it. You have principles. And if you don't stick by your principles, then what do you got? I happen to agree with that because there's always going to be another case. There's always going to be more money down the line. Uh, it's not worth, it's not worth your dignity not worth your dignity and it's not worth tarnishing your name and even if it's not like tarnishing your name bigly out there it's you it's me and it's what person, i represent yeah, yeah and you're the person you have to look in the mirror every mm -hmm. day yeah um i'm surprised i guess i don't really believe in you know what would i do differently because that doesn't exist I mean, it does, but it's a, it's a question. It's a question, but you can't go back in time. No, but you could use it to look into the future. Um, I, 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 the only thing I might've done differently is, is just go out on my own earlier. But then again, yeah, I think I went out at the right time because I had the right amount of experience, right amount of contacts. And, uh, if you're watching this and listening, be your own boss. Be your own boss. And uh, I guess the biggest thing out of that is go with your gut. Because did your gut tell you sooner to leave and you just and you just held on to it? You held on to I think so. the job at the, I think so. at the other firm? I think so. What, yeah. So what was it? There's some, listen, there's, there's security in knowing that, look, I'm going to get that paycheck every couple weeks. This could all stop tomorrow. If, if nobody hires me, I don't have a business. And that's that's the risk that you take as an entrepreneur. Right, but that's not going to happen because you've exactly that. You grew to the point where you know that if I leave right now, well, let's say I lose 60% uh, of my clients, which might be what's fed to you, you're then able to take that 40% that's left and build on it and build on it and build your culture 
build the culture of Benjamin Moore's law firm as opposed to wherever you were hanging your hat. Yeah, but 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 I get it. That's not not everybody's built that way. Um, not everybody's built to be an entrepreneur. Um, I didn't know I was, and until you did until I did it and doing it, it, it almost you know becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Uh, you know, there's so much we don't understand about life, and there's all this energy out there that's that's there's like all these systems that are happening that we don't even yet. Not only can we not control, we don't even know they're there. Uh, I'm a big believer in karma and what you put out is what you get back. And it's funny that extends to that extends to, you know, I believe that too. Yeah. That extends to success that extends to profit. You know, you know, I spent a lot of money on marketing and, um, I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly like X, you know, five, 10 cases are coming from that particular expenditure, but just believing in myself and putting that energy out there and saying, you know, I'm confident enough to drop 20 grand on an ad, you know, within the next three weeks, I got five new cases. And I don't know if it was directly attributed to that ad, but, it, but I, I think it is directly attributed to the faith I have in my business. I just had a really good idea that I'm going to talk to you about off the camera. Just had a really good idea. I I'll like good ideas. Probably every other show, I if not every every other, maybe every third, I'm talking to someone and I'm like, I got a good that idea. That light bulb you. goes off. Yeah. Um, usually that idea amounts to something good or really great. I love ideas. Um, so speaking of liking ideas and getting... Uh, getting motivation from other things. What are you reading right now? What 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 do you read? So I'm a big reader. Um, I, you know, I actually keep I have I have a website that keeps track of all the books I read. What website? Um, Which website? It's benmorebooks.card.co.card. It's um. I think I'm up to 41 books this year. Huh. I read 48 last year. Huh. I do, I'm a multitasker, so I do audiobooks. So if I'm walking, if I'm doing laundry, if I'm walking to the train, I got a book going. Um, I read for escape. So I read mostly like murder mysteries and thrillers. So you do fiction? I do almost entirely fiction. Got it. I was, uh, I was on a podcast yesterday called The Open Book. Talks it, it, you would be a great guest on this podcast. I will contact Jeff Sorrentino and recommend you as a guest. And, um, you know, I read a lot as well, but I don't read any fiction. And she was like, would you read fiction? Do you read fiction? And the only fiction book I could po I could think of that I've read is what I'm reading right now. Uh, one of, I'm reading two books right now. One is The Alchemist. Uh. And The Alchemist is as close to fiction or as close to nonfiction as fiction can get. Fiction's made up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so fiction. So I, I read nonfiction. Yeah. So what else are you reading? Uh I'm reading The Unpregnant Pause, Where Are the Babies? Unpregnant Pause, Where are the Babies is a book by Debbie Slevin. 
she is uh, she wrote a book about uh, why women in their mid th- in their thirties and forties now. So I guess this new this newer generation in the last decade or so, where women either aren't having babies or having babies a lot later, and comparing that to women of decades ago, comparing feminism decades ago to feminism now. Um, I'm a few chapters in, and it's amazingly written, and it really, you know, it, it, she she chats with a lot of women and a lot of mothers. Uh, a lot of mothers that want to be grandmothers and then women who are very heavily focusing on their careers and not making a f- family and having a child a priority, which right now for them, their career is what's most important to them. And if love comes and a baby comes, it comes. Whereas decades ago, it was you know, she just in the what I was just reading this morning in her book, she's talking about how. Her father was like, why would I pay for you to go to college? You're going to be 22 and you're going to have a baby and start a family anyway. And you're going to leave whatever job you went to college to do. And that was like the anti-feminism approach, which is probably still prevalent nowadays. Um, Yeah, that's Julie reading it. She's not reading it. I told her it's a great book. And when I'm done with it, it's amazingly written when it's done with it i'll give her debbie slevin's book mm. young pregnant pause uh do you go two at a time no i do one at a time um but i if it's a book i like i tend to, i can get through it in two three days so, so you've read 41 books this year 48 books last year uh you've read hundreds if not thousands of books What's one book you would recommend to anybody? So my favorite book of the past decade is a book I think I've now read seven times. And even though it is a novel, it and it's 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 a cheesy airport thriller, but it connected with me in so many different ways it's a book called dark matter by blake crouch and apparently their apple tv is doing a show on it but it hasn't been released yet um but it it's um did you see the movie uh everything everywhere all at once no that won the oscar last year no put it on my list but the multiverse is kind of a trending idea this idea that um there are lots of different dimensions and lots of different realities where versions of us exist um and that's what this book dark matter is about and and it it plays into the idea of choices so i I don't really understand quantum physics but apparently there's a lot of support to this idea of of the multiverse in that every decision that we make actually leads to the creation of a new universe. So somewhere out there, there's a Steve Clare who's um, a banker. There's a Steve Clare who's a doctor. There's a Steve Clare who's a lawyer, just based on little decisions that either were made or were made for us. Sounds like science fiction, but a lot of the quantum physicists seem to think that it's 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 actually likely. Um, but this book, Dark Matter, deals with two versions of one guy 
who made different choices and the two versions of himself actually come into contact with one, with one another. It's a fascinating book. Uh, I would recommend that to, to, and I have recommended it to anybody who's watching this who knows me is going to be like, oh yeah, he told me to read that. Uh, but I, I've read it seven times. My kids, my kids and I've listened to it like three times. Um, and I think I'm just going to listen to it again starting today. I, I love it that much. I love that. Uh, be, because it does it, you know, and actually a lot of things we've talked about today, it, it talks, it deals with, you know, what are choices I might've made? What's important to me? You know, one of the versions of the protagonist devotes his life to his career and the other one devotes his life to his family. Uh, and it, and it examines what would I have done differently? What's important to me is in my life. Is it my career? Is it my family? Is it that balance? Um, ask a lot of big questions for, uh, for a page turner. I'll put it on my list. How long, uh, how many hours? I don't remember, but I loved the book so much. I read it in one day. I, I read it the first time I own it. You can borrow it. I've got it in the, in the apartment. Um, I think if you like it, you'll read it. It's hard to put down. Love I that. stayed up to like four in the morning reading it. All right. So we've learned a lot about Benjamin Moore. Benjamin Moore, the paint guy. Benjamin Moore, the paint guy. <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic name. Yeah. Secret Jew. I love it. Yeah. So before I let you go, give me one word of advice for anyone trying to make it believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself no one will and you can do it it's 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 not that hard to get by it's not as hard as you think it is to succeed and it's within your grasp to succeed to heights that you never even thought you could but you got to believe in yourself because it's all in there. Um, just believe. Dude, thank you. Thank you, Steve. It's a great interview. Thank you, Rob. Benjamin Moore, family attorney, marital. Family and matrimonial matrimonial attorney. attorney. I hope you never have to call him. <laughs> I hope so too. Thanks, Steve.